So as we prepare to hear together from God's Word, we're going to sing now Ancient of Days.
Tonight, then, we are coming to 1 Timothy one last time. And as we do that, let me really quickly recap on last week. Um, we started to look at the very final section, the last part of chapter 6, if you turn to that chapter in your Bibles again. And you'll see that it is described as Paul's charge to Timothy. And what Paul is doing is he's ending his letter with really important things that he wants to say. So, we considered some of those things last Sunday evening. There is, at the end of this letter, important reminders about the gospel, what the nature of the gospel is. There are also important instructions to Timothy himself about how he should live in the light of the gospel. And then, and we really come to this tonight, there are some important instructions that Timothy needs to pass on to particular people within his congregation. And so, it's important for us to see the process here, to understand what is going on in the line, if you want to describe it in that way, so that in the very first instance, as we read this letter, we have Paul bringing instructions and commands to Timothy, who he regards as being like a son in the faith. But remember that Timothy is currently undergoing a really tough assignment. Timothy has been sent by Paul to a congregation which has been infiltrated by false teachers. And Timothy is now working in this congregation in a place called Ephesus. We know of that place especially because of the letter that Paul himself writes to that Ephesian church. And Timothy needs to bring lots of instruction from Paul to these people in Paul's absence. But there is one further layer to all of this because all the way through this series, we have described this letter as being both personal and prophetic. It's personal because it is one person writing to another person, but it is prophetic because these words that Paul is writing are inspired by God's Holy Spirit, and they are included in the canon of Scripture. In other words, we have this as part of the Bible that we read God's Word to us. And that means that this is a message that comes to and is for believers like us today. It is for churches like ours today. And as we look at this charge tonight, as we turn to verses 17 to 21, we see once again Paul reminding Timothy and the church via Timothy of really important things. On my phone, I increasingly use the Reminders app, and maybe that's partly because I've got more used to technology, but it's also a reflection of where I'm at in my life that I now need to be reminded more often about things. And one of the, the brilliant things about the Reminders app is not only are some of the reminders that you set time-sensitive, in other words, 
if I need to remember to do something tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, it will appear as if by magic on my phone. But you can also set reminders that are geospecific. And what that means is that if you're in a particular place and your phone knows that you're in that place, then the reminder will appear. And one of the things that you can do is you can set a reminder for when you're leaving home. The problem with that one is that it's usually as you've driven away, as I get to the bottom of our driveway, that it pings something up at me and I have to reverse all the way back up to get that book that I was going to bring or whatever it is. A low-tech version of that that my colleague used many years ago when I was an assistant minister was a series of post-it notes on his front door reminding him of all kinds of things as he left the house. And maybe you have used that one. That's maybe a, a better system. But in both cases, if you want to describe it in this way, those are final reminders of essential things. Philip, don't forget to dot, dot, dot. And as we come to the end of this letter tonight, as we consider this final passage, it provides a perfect summary of the themes that we have been looking at over the weeks that we have spent in this letter. It's Paul's final reminder to Timothy of the most important things. He's really saying to him, whatever you do, Timothy, don't forget these things. And the final things that Paul calls Timothy to do are entirely consistent with the message that we have been looking at in this letter over many weeks. There are two things that he calls Timothy to do right at the end. First of all, Paul calls Timothy to command. He's not only commanding Timothy himself, but in turn he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to command a specific group within the congregation to do particular things. And when we encounter that word command, we're not necessarily comfortable with the strength of that word in the 21st century church. We like the idea of a preacher suggesting or hinting at or saying, if possible, you might want to do this. But the idea that anyone will stand up and command someone else to do a thing does not sit well with our 21st century minds. And yet, when we look at this passage tonight, and so much of the teaching in this letter, and so much of the writing in the New Testament, this is a feature to command people about things. And the truth for us is that we talk about the authority of Scripture that maybe in our particular tradition, we are more at home with and comfortable with the idea of being commanded because we acknowledge, yes, there is authority to Scripture, and we are even committed to the authority of Scripture. We believe in it. That is until it challenges and rebukes us. And then we're not so sure and not so keen. But anyway, who is Timothy to command? We'll look again at verse 17 on the screen or in your Bible. And this 
is to those who are rich. Timothy is to command those who are rich. Now, straight away, that will require courage on Timothy's part because the natural temptation and tendency for people is to elevate and treat differently those who are wealthy. Indeed, that is a temptation for me and for other colleagues in ministry that somehow we would give wealthier people a buy ball or would treat them in a softer or a slightly different way. It's almost a subconscious thing. So, if Timothy is going to command these things to the wealthy of that congregation, then that will require guts. And as we look at these words here, where Timothy is to command those who are rich, maybe that's an instant switch off for many of us because what we probably think is, well, I know my bank account. I know my current balance. And I'm not wealthy. And therefore, what we're about to read here does not apply to me. And then we start to divert our gaze to others. Great, we can sit back. We can allow others to be spoken to, other people to be challenged, but this is not to do with me. And yet, I want you to reflect for a moment on our position in global terms. Every single one of us here present in church tonight are amongst the richest people in the world. And you might think, I'm no Bill Gates, you know, I'm no Elon Musk, I'm not up there with the super rich, but in terms of the world population, all of us here tonight sit comfortably in the wealthiest 10% of people in the world. And yes, we are experiencing a cost of living crisis, don't we know it? When we were in Scotland, and my mom and dad, I think they're still living in 1975 or something, because every shop we went into, they were scandalized by the prices, but the prices have gone up so much. We're tightening our belts to an extent, and I certainly tonight would not want to minimize the financial concerns that some people here might have. And we are a family here in this church. We are called to care for one another. And if someone finds themselves in particularly difficult financial circumstances, I would love you to know that you could come to brothers and sisters in the church and receive help with that. But we have been blessed with so much. All of us here have been blessed with a degree of wealth. And so, all of us need to hear this. So, what is it that Timothy is to command those who are rich? Well, again, if we look at the rest of verse 17, first of all, they are to be commanded not to be arrogant. And this is a real danger for wealthy, self-sufficient, self-made people, a real danger. It's easy for those who are financially well-off to become superior in their attitude, to have a big idea about themselves, to believe this has been my work, this has been my toil, my effort that has produced all of this, 
and yet arrogance is not a gospel attitude. It really isn't. It is contrary to the gospel of grace. Also, rich people, the wealthy, are to be commanded by Timothy not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And don't we know that at the present time? We live in such uncertain times financially. And yes, it's right for us. It's, it's acceptable for us to make provision for ourselves and our family, to make sensible decisions in order to be financially secure. That makes sense. That's using our God-given wisdom and resources. But we can never absolutely guarantee financial security. Circumstances can change. Circumstances that are far beyond our control and which humble us and which leave us in very different financial circumstances. So it's not what we should pin all our hopes on. But instead, if you look at the rest of verse 17, they are to be commanded by Timothy, the wealthy are to be commanded to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for, for our enjoyment. So, if we remember back to what Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4, verse 4, where he says that we are to enjoy the good gifts that the Lord has blessed us with in His creation, that we're to be thankful for them. We get to see that God is the real source of every good and perfect gift. And with God, there is certainty that financial resources and riches alone can never supply. That's the difference. But as we continue on, Paul tells Timothy that he is to command these wealthy people not only about certain attitudes that they're to avoid, but then more positively, he is to command them to be proactive, to do certain things. Look at verse 18. And he says to Timothy, command them, that is the wealthy, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And perhaps the greatest blessing of having more than we need is then being in a position to bless others. And for, for me tonight, for me as I was preparing this, I was able to think of how I and my family have been so blessed by others within all of the church families that we've been part of, including here in Connor, as people have been willing and generous to share their resources. And Paul continues in verse 19. Oops, I'm getting ahead. It's, it's on there already. He says in verse 19, of these wealthy people in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And of course, we read that verse, that one verse, in the context of the whole gospel message. So we know very well that Paul is not arguing here and saying here, 
that doing good deeds will earn us our salvation. That's not what that verse is about. But rather, living generously, putting others first, it shows a gospel mindset. It shows that your priorities are elsewhere, that for you, the be-all and the end-all isn't the money that you've accumulated and the good things that you have. It's ultimately a demonstration to yourself and to others that in Christ you have taken hold of the life that is truly life, something that we should all want to possess in Jesus. So, the first word, the first thing of importance for Timothy to do is to command. And then the second word, and this time we get on to the, the right screen, the second word is guard. Paul urges Timothy in verse 20 to guard what has been entrusted to his care. And the picture, the, the language picture that is painted here, the idea that is communicated here in the original language is of someone protecting a large amount of money that has been deposited for safekeeping. So, what is the thing of value that Timothy is to protect that he as a minister of the gospel is to guard? Well, it is very simply this. He is called to guard the gospel itself. The truth about Jesus Christ, that is to be Timothy's biggest concern. And he is to reject and turn away from anything else. And that brings us right to the heart of what this letter is about. We think again of the two big themes of this letter that we have encountered so often in our journey through 1 Timothy, those themes of godliness and gospel purity, that is, avoiding and also combating any doctrine that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we need to see is that those two themes of godliness and gospel purity are actually very closely connected. People, it's so important, and I want to take a bit of time over this, it is so important that we understand the thrust of what Paul is saying to Timothy, and through him to the Ephesian church, and through the Scriptures to us tonight. Throughout this letter, Paul has shown that godliness is actually all about what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And that's what the gospel is about, pure and simple. And when you think about it tonight, the false alternatives to that message, those other false gospels, they might very tremendously in how they sound to us, as was the case in the church in Ephesus, where there was this broad spectrum of false teaching that was from one end asceticism. In other words, the belief that by depriving ourselves of things, we could earn God's favor right the way across to what was essentially a prosperity theology, a gospel that was all about financial gain 
and gaining here and now. And those two false teachings were saying very different things, and they looked very different in practice. But here's what links them all together. These alternatives to the gospel are all about what we have to do to be found acceptable to God, and that is no true gospel at all. And when you really think about it tonight, and we've explored this already, think about it, the absolute arrogance of departing from the gospel. Sometimes evangelical people who are committed to the core truths of the gospel, they're accused of being arrogant. How can you be so certain? How can you say that so dogmatically? But the reality is, when someone departs away from the gospel, that is the absolute height of arrogance. To be a teacher of any alternative and false gospel, that requires someone to believe that they have arrived at a superior knowledge, that they have somehow gained superior enlightenment. It is a case of them standing above God's Word. I know better than the Lord. I know better than 2,000 years of faithful acceptance of His Word. So, we've got to see there is always conceit involved in refusing to listen to Jesus. It's a problem of the heart. It's an example of arrogance. And so, coming back to this passage, well, what is opposite to the gospel? Paul tells us and tells Timothy in verse 20, he talks about two things, godless chatter, and then he continues the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, we need to understand this in its context. This is certainly not a case of Paul being anti-intellectual, as some might imagine it. It's not him telling us that gaining knowledge is wrong. He's not arguing that being learned is incompatible with the gospel. There are many academic people who are gospel people, believers in Christ. Of, of course there is. But rather, this is a specific reference to the false teachers who were plaguing this church in Ephesus that Timothy was pastoring, because what they did was they tried to dazzle the Ephesians with their secret knowledge. Here, guess what we know. Guess what we have discovered. Guess what we have actually learned beyond what Paul and others talk about. They thought they had a message that was more appealing and more coherent than the true gospel. And as a result, they got further and further away. They drifted further and further away from the faith. And this is so sad. And regrettably, we see this all too often today. We encounter people who think they know better, who think that they have deeper insights than the rest of us, people who put themselves above Scripture 
and as a result, they lose out in so much because they walk away from the true life that is found in Jesus Christ. And so for us tonight, as a church, it is a responsibility of those of us in positions of authority, the elders of this church teaching and ruling, to command people in this church of these things and to do it with courage and to do it out of great love and tenderness and winsomeness. And it is our responsibility together to be committed to the gospel and to guard the gospel. You can do that in your life. You can guard the gospel as you teach your children and your grandchildren. You can guard the gospel in GB and BB and in the Bible class and Sunday school and junior church in the Holiday Bible Club, wherever the Lord has placed you to serve Him. And let's do this with faithfulness and with new resolve, because what a message it is. Nothing is better than the gospel. Nothing beats the gospel. And we love the one that appoints to Jesus. We look to Him and I urge you to keep your eyes fixed on him, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so we sing tonight.